0: You are listening to ReachMD XM233 the channel for medical professionals. Although attention deficit hyperactivity disorder ADHD was once thought to disappear as children grew up, research suggests that this is not necessarily the case. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Ari Tuckman, a clinical psychologist from Westchester, Pennsylvania, who specializes in diagnosing and treating children, teens, and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. His book, Integrative Treatment for Adult ADHD, a practical, easy-to-use guide for clinicians, will be published this year. Dr. Tuckman, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable.
1: Thanks, me.
0: What led to your interest in ADHD?
1: It's kind of funny. I fell into it backwards, as I suppose sometimes happens in these sort of things. When I first went into practice about 10 years ago, I was looking to build a client base, obviously, and one of the psychiatrists in the group practice I was in at the time approached me and said, you know, I have all these adults with ADHD, and I'm prescribing medication, and it helps, but these folks need a little something else. They need more than just the medication. You know, are you interested? And of course, at the time, with an empty caseload, of course, I was interested in pretty much anything. So I did some research and I started working with these folks. And what I discovered was, first of all, that it was just a really nice fit for how I like to practice. But the other thing is that there were very few therapists out there who were specifically working with ADHD adults. And although it's slightly better now, 10 years later, still very much an underserved population.
0: How long has ADHD been a recognized diagnosis?
1: We can trace it back to about 100 years ago. The very first sort of what we would now call a precursor to, what, to ADHD was dubbed moral deficit disorder. And the idea was that these kids, you know, lack the morals to be able to control themselves and behave appropriately. And what's really sort of interesting about that title, moral deficit disorder, is for those who have undiagnosed ADHD, they can cite many, many examples where people made a similar, you know, interpretation of their behaviors. And the thing about ADHD folks is, they know what the right thing to do is. That isn't the problem. The problem is doing the right thing at the right time in a consistent way.
0: What is the difference between ADD and ADHD?
1: ADD is an old term. 20 years ago, ADD was replaced by ADHD. And yet there are still books coming out with ADD in the title, which is technically an obsolete term. But I think where the confusion comes from is that ADHD has three subtypes. There is the primarily hyperactive impulsive subtype, those are, you know, what we think of as kind of the squirmy boys, stereotypically that would be sort of hyperactive ADHD, but there's also the inattentive subtype, and people will sometimes use ADD to describe that, sort of the inattentive subtype of ADHD, because these folks, you know, in their eyes, they don't have ADHD because they don't have any ADHD, and then the third subtype is the combined who have symptoms of both hyperactivity, and impulsivity, as well as inattention. ADHD is attention deficit slash hyperactivity disorder, meaning it could be one or the other or both so there's some confusion still out in the public about the difference between those two terms.
0: What does the research reveal about children diagnosed with ADHD continuing to have significant symptoms throughout life?
1: The majority of kids with ADHD become adults with ADHD. Probably some of the symptoms will settle out. And the most significant is that the hyperactive and the impulsive symptoms tend to settle with time so the kid who couldn't sit still in class becomes an adult who can force themselves to sit still, but it takes some effort. So, for example, to sit through a long meeting feels like torture. Even to go to the movies and sit through a two-hour movie, it can be difficult for them unless they're really, you know, sucked into the movie – to sit for that full two hours without getting up to go to the bathroom or get a drink. And they don't need to really go to the bathroom or get a drink. They just need to stretch their legs and move around a little bit. But I think the fact that the most obvious symptoms of ADHD sort of resolve themselves or become less visible as one enters adulthood, I think that contributed to a lot of people thinking that it's really a disorder of childhood and not a lifelong disorder. The other thing that changes is, you know, as a kid, obviously, you need to be in school and sit in a classroom all day. As an adult, you know, we have many more choices about the environments we put ourselves into. So someone who's very hyperactive can, be, you know, becomes a delivery person or, you know, a day trader or a carpenter or something that – they're active and moving, and they're not sitting behind a desk all day.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Ari Tuckman discussing adult attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Dr. Tuckman, how prevalent is this?
1: In adults, we're looking at about a 5%. So one out of twenty, you know, kind of give or take, depending on how you define terms and what populations you measure.
0: And how many people do you believe are receiving treatment?
1: You know, that's the really interesting thing is that there's a study done recently that found that only about ten percent of adults with ADHD in this, you know, study group had received treatment over the last year. Ten percent. I mean, that's that's unbelievably small. I think we're doing better with kids in terms of identifying and treating them, but. Adult ADHD, there's still, you know, the vast, vast majority of them are not receiving any kind of treatment and were probably never even diagnosed in the first place.
0: Is it misdiagnosed or easily missed?
1: Often, I think for adults, it's usually the diagnosis is missed, and instead it's anxiety, depression, you know, maybe bipolar disorder or something else that's diagnosed in its place. And, of course, if you get the diagnosis wrong, your treatment can only be, you know, of limited benefit. I think perhaps in kids you see more overdiagnosis, where someone is diagnosed as having ADHD when it's really something else. And I think that's, you know, if you do a quick and dirty assessment, it's easy to come up with a wrong diagnosis. In
0: children, what would the actual diagnosis probably be if it were misdiagnosed?
1: It would usually be, you know, some sort of anxiety or depression, some sort of other learning disability, you know, potentially parental expectations that exceed the child's abilities. They were an A student, so therefore they feel their child should be an A student, and if they're not, there's obviously something wrong here, whereas, you know, the truth of it may be this kid may just be a B student. So, you know, it's a lot of different things. It's unfortunate because if you do a quick and dirty assessment, there's a lot of different things that can look like ADHD that are not ADHD, which is why it's important to really do a thorough assessment and make sure that, you know, you get your diagnosis right.
0: What is the cause?
1: It's primarily a genetic disorder. And among the psychiatric diagnoses, it's probably either the first or the second most heritable of all the disorders. I think it's schizophrenia, that's number one. But schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, ADHD are are the top three most heritable. So for most people, it's a genetic sort of thing. And if you find one person in a family with ADHD, you begin to look through the family tree and you can probably find a few others. Kind of rough rule of thumb is if one person in a family is diagnosed with ADHD, if you look at their primary relatives, which is parents, siblings, children, out of that group, each of them has a one in four chance of having ADHD themselves. So what often will happen these days still is, I call it the two-for-one diagnosis, where a child is diagnosed and then one of the parents says, oh my God, I was exactly the same way. And then, you know, one of the parents is diagnosed as well.
0: What are the biggest misconceptions about ADHD?
1: I think probably the biggest is that ADHD is just a matter of lack of discipline. You know, that it's that kind of like, look, you just need to try a little harder or, you know, if it's in the case of a child, you just need to discipline that child more and that'll solve their problems. Unfortunately, anything that is mental, we still see as being much more under conscious control than things that are physical. So, for example, if someone were diagnosed with diabetes, I think there's very few people in this world who would say, you know what, you just need to, you know, buckle up and make sure your blood sugar stays where it's supposed to be. And yet, if someone has ADHD, that, you know, the sort of typical difficulties that they run into, other people will see it as, you know, some sort of laziness or whatever. And there's actually, there's a book that's been out for about 10 years now called You Mean I'm Not Lazy, Stupid, or Crazy. And it's a fantastic title because it really captures these other, you know, frankly rather pejorative explanations for typical ADHD behavior. And if you don't have ADHD as a possible explanation for it, what you're left with is you're too lazy to do what you're supposed to do, or you're just stupid and you're just not smart enough to do it, or you're crazy because why in the world else are you, you know, putting yourself through all of this trouble? So, you know, things like poor grades in school, lost jobs, relationship difficulties. I mean, I saw a new person recently... You know, a man in his 60s, in the last 10 years he's had, he's lost eight jobs. Bright guy, very capable, undiagnosed, untreated ADHD has caused him significant problems in his life.
0: What's your best advice for primary care physicians who might see somebody with these symptoms walk in their office?
1: Honestly, my best advice is, first of all, to refer to someone who can really spend a significant amount of time and do a thorough assessment of current functioning in past functioning to really make sure that they get that diagnosis right so for example for myself i do a two-hour diagnostic interview and i may include you know a romantic partner in that as well to provide kind of a second perspective so i have a number of primaries who you know will get an adult with or you know child or teenager who they think might have adhd refer them to me i do the evaluation then i refer them back to do the medication and it's just it's kind of like i said before if you don't get the diagnosis right you can't really get the treatment right so as tempting as it is to do sort of a 5 minute evaluation it's just it's too easy to be wrong there's too many other possibilities and if really what the issue is is anxiety or even more so if really the issue is bipolar disorder if you start adding in a stimulant which is the typical you know treatment of choice for ADHD that can cause some really big problems, especially in the case of bipolar disorder it can send the person into a manic episode. Although it's generally pretty straightforward, the ADHD medications. are kind of easy to get right. They're generally safe. They're generally well-tolerated. So it's an easy medication in that regard. Once again, if the diagnosis is wrong, there's, there's potentially some real problems there.
0: On the personal side, what is your best advice for approaching someone about the subject of treatment when they might not think a problem exists?
1: What I would recommend is that, you know, they refer the person to two websites. One of them is add.org, the other is chad.org, C-H-A-D-D.org. These are the two national nonprofit ADHD advocacy organizations. What they have is a ton of really good, reliable, scientifically-based information on the disorder that to see what other people have gone through to sort of how these different ran- seemingly random bits and pieces of their life all kind of fall into place. I think it can help someone who's a little skeptical or, you know, a family member who's skeptical see that, you know what, this is common, this is treatable, and that it's not worth suffering with any longer.
0: Tell us about your book.
1: The book that I wrote, it's for clinicians, so it's not for the public. But the reason I wrote it is, although the child ADHD literature is fairly well-developed, there's very, very few books out there on adult ADHD. The number of them that are, have sort of come out just of late, but I mean, on, I could count on two hands, really, and I'm being generous to say two, the number of books exclusively on adult ADHD for the clinician. So I felt like, you know, that is the need in the market, that there are not enough therapists who really know adult ADHD.
0: Dr. Tuckman, thank you for joining us today.
1: My pleasure.
0: Glad to be here. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.